message from Valley Bible Fellowship. It is our sincere prayer that you're richly blessed through the ministry of the Word. For more information about VBF, visit our website at vbf.org. Thank you. Hey, that's nice. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Happy Father's Day to those that are. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Hey, if I got a word to the wise. If Pastor Ron ever texts you and says, hey, would you be willing to cover one of the Sundays this summer while I'm off? Be sure to ask him if there's a Navy SEAL speaking the week before, <laughs> and there's a Harlem Globetrotter speaking the week after, and then it's some NFL guy after. I'm just an accountant from Bakersfield, so it's a little different feeling to uh, be out here with those guys. But <clears throat> I'm glad to be here, and uh, we're going to have a good time in the Lord this morning as we talk about forgiveness and when is it appropriate to forgive and uh, all that kind of stuff. So uh, forgiveness is largely misunderstood. Uh, you, you've all heard it say, oh, you, you, you just must forgive and forget, right? Uh, let bygones be bygones. That's a lot easier said than done. And we're going to talk a little bit about that more this morning. Do we really have an obligation to forgive? And if we do, do we have an obligation to forget? That's a little more difficult even than forgiving. And if we forgive, are we obligated to reconcile with that person? Because that person that we need, might need to forgive is, uh, may have done something really horrible, and it might not be possible to reconcile with them. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. Uh, there are two types of forgiveness. There's human forgiveness, and human forgiveness is just temporary. It's just two people who figure out a way to be able to have a continuing relationship after one has wronged the other. So it's just a human way to be able to continue on your, your relationship with that person. Divine forgiveness is something very different. Divine forgiveness is the process that's necessary for God to be able to reconcile His holiness with our unholiness because God can't tolerate unholiness. So in order to have a relationship with us, he had to, to, to devise a way for our, our unholiness to be reconciled, to be done away with permanently so he could have a permanent relationship with us. And if you look at Hebrews 10.10, 10, it says, For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all time. That forgiveness that we received by the sacrifice of Jesus is permanent. It is everlasting, once and for all time. And then skip down to Hebrews 10, 14. And it says, for by that one offering, he forever made per perfect those who are being made holy. He forever made perfect. Otherwise, the sacrifice would have to be done over and over and over again. In the Old Testament, when they sacrificed goats and sheep and dove and all that other stuff, they had to do it constantly. It must have been a bath of blood, uh, you know, around the, the believing community because it was necessary to do it often. But this one sacrifice, once and for all, it was over with. <clears throat> so if, if God has reconciled us to him, our sin to him, if he has forgiven us once and for all, 
then why are we commanded by him to forgive others? It's a difficult thing for human beings. I struggle with it. Uh, well, we may talk about that. We'll see as this goes forward. But um, as we, uh, let's look at Jonah. Look at the book of Jonah. And God tells Jonah to go to the city of Nineveh to give them a chance to repent. Uh, Nineveh was the capital city of the ancient uh, nation of Babylon. And Babylon, the ancient city of Babylon, is the current the ancient nation of Babylon is the current nation of Iraq. And if you looked on a map to see where Nineveh was, Nineveh is just north a little bit of modern-day Tikrit, Iraq. I suspect there's somebody in the room or that will be here sometime this morning that's been near Tikrit, Iraq. Tikrit, Iraq, have you been? Yeah, well, thank you for your service, and I'm glad you're back here. But Tikrit, Iraq is the hometown of Saddam Hussein. And you remember when they pulled him out of that little hole in the ground where he was hiding? That was to Crete. That's just a little bit south of where Nineveh was back in ancient times. Well, let me set this up a little bit. <clears throat> uh, God wanted to provide an opportunity for Nineveh to repent. But Jonah did not want to go because he hated the Ninevites. Why did he hate the Ninevites so much? Well, first of all, the Assyrians were brutal. They were horribly brutal. They, were, they had a reputation for doing such things as skinning the skin off of the people they took captive and then tacking their skin up on the wall around the city as a warning to their enemies. Don't do what that guy did. Biblical scholars, uh, some biblical scholars speculate that the Assyrians had killed five of uh, Jonah's brothers. He had good reason to hate the, the Ninevites. Um, so as, as he is being directed to go there, he decides that he does not want to go because he sees them out of his own sense of justice and he doesn't think they deserve to be forgiven instead of the way God sees them. Because God sees them differently than Jonah does. God sees them as being lost, desperate, without hope, in need of mercy, and worthy of saving well, I don't know about you, but sometimes that's a very different way than I see someone else as being worthy of saving. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit about how we get to the point of, of having no regard for someone like that. So God tells Jonah to go to the city of Nineveh. And let's look at uh, Jonah chapter 1, verses uh, 1 through 3. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, the son of Amittai, to get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa. If you look on a modern day map of Israel, the, the modern city that Joppa was is now called Jaffa, J-O-F-F-A. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. And he bought a ticket and went down in the hold of the ship hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Have any of us ever tried to sneak away and God, uh, sneak away from what God wanted us to do? It's, a, um, it's an ill-conceived plan, as you will see what happens to Jonah here in a second. So um, let me set this up for you a little bit. Uh, God says, well, wait a minute, Jonah, I want you to go to, to, uh, to uh, Nineveh. And God reveals to the crew that he, uh, that uh, Jonah is the problem. The, the, I'm sorry, this big, huge storm roils up, and the storm is about to overtake the ship. 
and they're all, they all become afraid. And then God reveals, in fact, Jonah tells them, I, I'm your problem. I'm the reason that the storm is about to overtake us because I'm running away from God. Well, that doesn't go over big with the crew. The crew tosses them into the water, into the sea. Uh, okay, now this is a Bible story. I'm, I'm, you, you have to believe Bible stories for what they are. And this is a great Bible story to tell your grand, grandchildren or your children about what happens when the giant fish swallows Jonah. And for three days in the belly of the fish, Jonah prays and cries out to God, please save me, please save me. And after three days, the fish, or the, the whale or whatever it was, went over to the shore and spit him out, and threw him up onto, the, onto the, the land. But that's not the story we're here to tell. That's a great story to tell your grandkids or your children. But we're here to tell the story about what happened to, to Jonah. So God causes the, the, uh, the fish to spit him out. And uh, let's go now to Jonah chapter 3. And we're going to read part of passages uh, 1 through 10. So verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Let's pause there for a second. In some of the scriptures, it explains that it, the word of the Lord comes exactly the same way. The same words are said. And I don't know how long you've been a Christian, but if you've been a Christian very long, you will notice, as I have noticed, that God always approaches us the same way. It might not be that he approaches you the way he approaches me, but he approaches me the same way. I can tell I am entering into his presence by the same process. And it's recognizable that I am there when it's happened. God came back to Jonah a second time, the very same way he did the first time. And he says, uh, he says there in verse 2, um, to arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, and it was a three days walk uh, from there. Then Jonah began to go through the city uh, one day. Well, let's skip verse 4. Let's go down to verse 5. Essentially, what happens is he proclaims what God wants him to proclaim to the city. And then the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. They recognized that they were broken, that they needed forgiveness, and they began to repent. And then skip down to verse 10, please. That's seven. Let's go down to ten. There we go. So when God saw that we saw their deeds, that they were repenting, uh, they uh, that they had turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning concerning the calamity which He had declared He would bring on them, and He did not do it. So He gave them an opportunity through Jonah to repent, and they did, and He was in the process of forgiving them. Now, Jonah may have obeyed God by going to Nineveh and delivering the message that he was supposed to, um, to deliver, but his heart hadn't changed one bit. Uh, look at Jonah 4.1. This is Jonah, but it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. He was ticked off because God did what he knew God would do, and that was forgive these people. So there's this back and forth between God and Jonah, and I'll point out to you, sometimes, you know, we think of God as being um, ominous, stoic, uh, serious. Um, he, he's not always that way. Sometimes he's funny. And you're going to say in a second that God has a sense of humor. So what happens here next is that Jonah um, says to God, I'm going to paraphrase, Jonah says to God, uh, I knew that you were compassionate, I knew that you were kind, and I knew that if I went to that place, they would turn around and you would forgive them, and I don't want them forgiven. So he was angry over that. Uh, it, then he finally says, I'd rather die than see you forgive them. 
Now, I don't know if he was a bit of a drama queen or if he had a terrible temper, but Jonah had an issue with, with, uh, with popping off to God. In fact, he throws a tantrum. Have any of you ever been angry with God? I mean, angry enough with God that you screamed or lashed out at him. A long, long time ago, my wife, uh, you, you guys know my wife, Mary, she was involved in women's ministry. If you're one of the ladies, uh, she's been a friend to many of you here. My wife, a long time ago, was very ill, and she had a fatal diagnosis. She was supposed to die. Uh, as the process was going on, she was plummeting into what would eventually end her life. By the way, we got a miracle. She did not die. She's alive. She's sitting right in the back room, and I'm grateful. Yeah. 46 years later, I still have my wife. So, uh, but what, what happened on that particular day was this was before cell phones. I had, you know, I had to make a living for my family. I was working. Mary was in the hospital. I was going to go back. I'd seen her that morning. I'd go back and see her that evening. And I get a call at this bank where I'm having this meeting with these bankers. Hey, you need to go to the hospital. My office had called the bank and said, Maggard, you, you need to go to the, the hospital. She cannot move. She's fallen. She's weak. She's fallen. She can't get up. And they need you at the hospital. I excused myself from the meeting. I went out to the car. I remember exactly the stall where I was sitting in what used to be San Joaquin Bank, right behind it, in my car. And I was ticked at God. And I said, why? As I screamed at God. And I used to have a very uh, severe temper. And some would say I still do, but I try to control it more. You, you make more money in life if you're not mean and, and cantankerous. So I learned how not to be mean and cantankerous. But, but I said, why? And I beat my steering wheel with my fists. I remember watching my steering wheel bend and come back as I pounded on it that hard. Why are you letting this happen to my wife? And then I realized that I had just screamed in anger at the Lord God, creator of the universe, and I was terrified as I paused, is a lightning bolt about to strike me? Am I about to fall over dead? What, you know, I have, I'd never done that before. It is possible to be very angry with God. I immediately asked for forgiveness. Went to the hospital, I told you the story, Mary recovers, she, you'd never know she was sick. So praise God for that. So, um, but God has a sense of humor. Jonah is angry. He's so angry, he storms out of the city, walks up to the top of a hill, he sits down and he's gonna watch what happens from the top of the hill. Now it's a hot day, and God had arranged for this plant to grow up next to Jonah to cover him with shade so that he could comfortably sit there and watch the, the, uh, the restoration of the city take place. Now, Jonah doesn't know that God is going to teach him a lesson because the next thing after Jonah gets comfortable in the shade of this big tall plant, God sends a worm to this plant and kills the plant and in the hot glistening day, the, the, uh, the plant shrivels up and dies and Jonah has no more shade. God has pulled a fast one on him. And, uh, and then he, God turns up the heat, it gets hotter, the wind gets stronger, it's a miserable day, and Jonah is just like lamenting to God, how, I really, I just want to die, how, you, you even killed this poor plant to show me a lesson here that, but I, just kill me and let's be done with it. And God comes back to him and says, wait a second, Jonah, you have more mercy and compassion for this plant than you do for the 120,000 people in that city that I was about to kill that I'm now going to relent because they've repented. How could it be, Jonah, that you would feel that way about them? Because Jonah saw them with his eyes and not with God's eyes. Same issue we have. Sometimes we see, people, we see people with our eyes and not with God's eyes. Well, we need to come to forgive 
uh, there are, sometimes it's others that we have to forgive, and sometimes it's ourselves that we have to forgive. This is Father's Day, and uh, Father's Day is an interesting time uh, in families. Um, I, as I have gotten older, I see Father's Day differently than I used to see Father's Day. I used to, uh, when my father was alive, he's passed away now and gone on to be with the Lord, uh, but when, I, when my father was alive, as he got older, near the end of his life, he began, began to doubt a bit whether or not he'd been a good father. My father was a fabulous father. My father was raised in a home where his father uh, ran off and left the family. He sat in his father's lap one time the night before my grandfather left and abandoned them. He, my grandfather said to my father as he recounted it to me, come here, son, come sit in my lap. My dad had never sat in his father's lap before. He runs and jumps in his father's lap. My grandfather handed him six quarters, said, okay, get down. And he got down, and my grandfather left. Never told my father he loved him, never provided for him, just left. My dad had a very rough upbringing, and he promised, he became saved at about the age of 19, and he promised God that I would not have the life he had. And my dad fulfilled that promise. I do not have the life that my father had. Um, in my, that's a good thing, isn't it? Praise God for that. I'll always respect my dad for that. My father told me he loved me thousands of times. And I told my father that I loved him thousands of times. But as time went on, uh, you, you know, you, you kind of take that for granted. But now my dad's gone. I'll never hear my father say to me again, I love you, son. Because that opportunity is gone. That window closed. There are... Um, other things like that that we, that we can miss. And sometimes people, um, they, they just, um, the families become irrevocably broken. And people, not only do they have difficult time forgiving one another, but they have a difficult time forgiving themselves. There's an, a, an interesting song. If you're of my age, you know who a guy named Jackson Brown is. Anybody know Jackson Brown? Yeah, very good. And if you're a very discerning young person, you might know who Jackson Brown is. Look up on YouTube Jackson Brown and listen to some of his songs. He is an awesome writer, uh, just a man of the world. Uh, I've, I've studied him some. He, he has a belief in God, whatever, however he sees God to be. But even the world, what I'm pointing out to you is even the world recognizes this need. In one of the songs that um, Jackson Brown wrote, it's called These Days. Look up These Days and listen to that on YouTube sometime by Jackson Brown. One of the lines in the song says, these days I seem to think a lot about the things that I forgot to do and all the times I had the chance to. He was recognizing he had lost some opportunities to do something he should have done and they were gone. And at the very end of the song, the last line of the song is very poignant, especially the way Jackson Brown sings it and I am not gonna do that for you this morning. Let's look it up and you can hear Jackson Brown sing it. But at the end of the song he says, don't confront me with my failures. I have not forgotten them. Most of us eventually become aware of our own weakness and our failures. Some of us have failed greatly. Some of us have failed so greatly that there are relationships in our life that will never be restored. That is an ominous thing to come to, to recognize. Uh, they're sad words, but the reality is they reflect that the world recognizes that it's in need of forgiveness. It, it knows how broken, the world knows how broken it is as well. 
I remember standing right here in front of this altar on a night that we had big, long prayer lines. And I remember a lady who walked up to the front, and she was forlorn. She was obviously emotional about something. And she began to talk to me to ask me to pray for her. And tears were rolling down her cheeks. And she recounted to me something horrible that she had done. And she could, she hated herself. She was self-loathing for this thing that had happened that she did not stop. And uh, she could not forgive herself. She hated herself as she just, the tears streamed down her cheeks. Sometimes people are terribly broken and they need to forgive themselves. So how do I see people? Do I see people like that? Do I see people that I hold in contempt with my eyes or the eyes of Jonah, or do I see them with the eyes of God? Are they disgusting and not worthy of forgiveness, or are they really someone who is lost, desperate, without hope, and in need of salvation? Now I want to talk to you about the cost of unforgiveness. Why does God ask us to forgive? Why does he command us to forgive other people? And that's because there's a very significant cost to unforgiveness, to harboring unforgiveness. The first of those, there's three costs I'm going to tell you about. The first of those costs is bondage. You fall under the bondage of the person from whom you are withholding forgiveness. Think about that for a second. You won't forgive them and you fall under bondage to them. The absolute opposite of what you would want to happen, right? The person whom you hold in contempt comes to own you. The offense lives on and on. It's remembered and experienced time after time as you recount whatever it was that this person did to you. The offender is present in your life, almost omnipresent. And if it's a group that's been harmed by this person, I remember this group of people that was, that was harmed by one person. And every time this group got together to have lunch, they just recounted the same story over and over. And like, like you hit play on a video recorder and it recounted the same thing over and over again. Why is it that we, these memories are frozen in our minds? Why is it that sometimes even after the person who hurt you is dead, they are still present in your mind as you recount whatever it was they did to you? That's because you haven't forgiven them. They are present with you. You are in bondage to them because you have not let go of it. The second cost of unforgiveness is revenge. You come to strip the offender of any value, any dignity, any honor, any worth they ever had. You, you think of them as slothful. They're an idiot. They're stupid. Sorry if there's children in here. I'm using strong words for that for, if you're a little kid. Uh, you might not want them to hear that. But th th they have no value. There's nothing redeemable about them as you think about them. Why is it necessary for us to do that? Because before you really hurt someone, you have to strip from them the value that they have so that you can put it to them. You can put in the knife and twist it. And you think about all the different ways that you can conceive of that you could hurt them. It might be, I had this friend in high school who's, he got angry with his father and he decided he wouldn't talk to his father again. And months and months and months had gone by and he had never spoken to his father in the same house. I now have a loved one who has not spoken to his children in 10 years. He reaches out to them. They will not respond to him. 
he is separated from them permanently because they are twisting that knife. They're doing whatever they can to exact revenge upon him. Well, sometimes that revenge can go to extremes. It can, it can get out of hand. But you conceive of this, if I had the opportunity, what would I say? I know exactly what I would say to put them in their place. That's because you are trying to figure out how to exact revenge upon them. The third cost, squandering opportunities. Unforgiveness can cause you to squander the opportunity after opportunity and opportunities that will not come again. I figured out in preparation for today that I have lived in my life through today 24,298 days. That's a lot of days. 24,000 days. I don't think I'm at the end. I, I feel fine. I don't plan to be at the end. I, I hope I have a lot more. Uh, but the reality is, I don't know how many more I have. Is this the last day? Is tomorrow the last day? The, everything is finite. Time goes on and, and some things end. I love sunsets. And I love to sit at the beach and look at the sunset as it drops out of the clouds. And the clouds, I'm, I'm colorblind, but one of the few things I can see are colors in sunsets. And as the colors go across the clouds, I don't know what colors they are, but my goodness, they change all, to all kinds of different colors. And as the, the sun drops below the canopy of the, the, the clouds, then it drops into the ocean. And this huge bright ball is there and it makes everything glow. And then slowly but surely, this ball gets smaller and smaller until it goes below the, sunset, below the horizon line in the ocean. I love to watch sunsets. How many more times will I get to watch a sunset? A hundred times? 10 times? One time? Will I ever get to watch another sunset? There's a time in which I will have seen my last sunset. How many more times will I, in this sanctuary, be completely lost in the presence of God? Worship is going on. I have my hands raised, my eyes closed. There's nothing else in the room except the presence of God right there next to me. That, that also is a finite number. There will come a time that you won't be able to feel that again because you won't be here. I wish my dad could laugh at me one more time. When I was a boy, I resented that he would laugh at me because I did something dumb. But as I got older, I would intentionally do things to make my dad laugh at me. And I wish my dad would laugh at me one more time and I could hear it. There are sometimes some things that go away, like how many more times do I get to tell my family and my kids that I love them? My wife and my kids that I love them. Or how many more times will I hear the laughter? You know, you know what this is like when you're in your house and all your kids are there and the room is full of laughter and chaos and, you know, hollering back and forth at each other. It's just a complete mess in the room, right? And you are loving every moment of it because all your family is together in the same place at the same time. How many more of those opportunities do you get? Well, the reason, the third reason, uh, because of squandered opportunities, the third reason that we should always... Uh, figure out how to forgive is because unforgiveness causes us to focus on the wrong things and because of that we miss the right things those opportunities can be gone and never be able to be retrieved again as I turn this towards closing I want to tell you about an author a pastor back in Tennessee named Eric Reed he has a series of articles that he's written about forgiveness and uh, he's, a, he's a very, um, a very um, wise pastor, in, in my opinion. 
And he says that God's forgiveness is thorough. He cancels, God cancels all of our sins, not just a few. He cancels all of them. He removes them as far as the east is from the west in Psalm 103, 12. In fact, it kind of goes back to that Jackson Brown song. Do not remind me of my sins because I am fully aware of them. Well, God has removed them as far as the east is from the west. They are gone. Isn't that praise God for that? So we have to learn to forgive the same way because God instructs us to forgive as he has forgiven. But how do I forgive the unforgivable? Again, if there are children in here, I'm going to say, talk about some harsh, strong things. How do you forgive someone who has raped you? How do you forgive someone who has murdered your loved one? How do you forgive someone who has inflicted sexual abuse on you? How do you forgive someone who has been unfaithful to you and betrayed you and left you for another? How do you forgive someone who has hurt your child? I used to think I was a pretty good guy and that I was capable of forgiveness, no problem, until someone really, really hurt one of my children. My goodness, I am an evil person. (laughs) I have thought all the terrible things I just talked to you about, about that other person. I am quite capable of destroying that person, and I have to check that. I, I have, to, I have to, to fight back against that. So how do you forgive someone? Thank you. How do you forgive someone who's done that unthinkable thing? Well, we, have to, we, we can't close before we talk about that. There's a very significant difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. If there's someone in the world, we are are commanded to forgive them, to let go of it, to lay it down so you can move on and not be in bondage to it. But reconciliation is a different thing. And you are not required anyway to put yourself in a position that you are harmed again by that person. That is not what you're called to do. We should never let someone hurt our children. You should never have to, to condone someone that is abusing you or hurting you. or that, That's not what God is asking us to do. Um, but be, because what, what, for reconciliation to occur, there must be repentance. That person needs to repent. They need to ask for forgiveness. There's a whole process. Remember, that's what happened in Nineveh. The city repented and God forgave them. And God is capable of forgetting as if it was no more. But we are not God. We will remember. And we have no obligation to expose ourselves to continue to be hurt. So reconciliation requires that the offender repent. That that, that, that offender, if it was egregious enough, demonstrate to you that they are faithful, that they are capable of not hurting you once again. I'm not suggesting, particularly for those horrific things I recounted a moment ago, that you need to put yourself in harm's way about that. But we can only forgive them because we are aware of how great the forgiveness was God gave to us. And then we can reconcile if a whole series of things occur that make it warranted to reconcile. So on this day, on this Father's Day, as you think about your father who may or may not be living, as you think about, and if you're not a father, uh, or if you're a single mom, or if you're Uh, You're just a person who has friends or loved ones. I want you to uh, think about not allowing yourself to remain in bondage to unforgiveness. I want you to 
not allow revenge to dominate your thoughts. I want you not to squander the precious opportunities you have to love those around you. And just as God has forgiven you, I ask that you show forgiveness to those who have hurt you. And then allow God to determine whether or not reconciliation and resolution is possible and how that might be accomplished. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer. We thank you, Father, for being in our midst this morning. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your restoration of us, for reconciling us to you, even though our sins are ongoing. We thank you for um, all the opportunities that you've given us uh, over and over again to be forgiven again and again. I ask, Lord, this morning that you would bring to our mind those who are in need of our forgiveness, even if that is ourself. You are willing, you are waiting, you are capable and, and ready right now to forgive us of whatever that is. So Lord, help us to uh, think about who we need to forgive, even if that is ourselves. Restore and help us reconcile those relationships that need to be restored and give us the wisdom, Father, to move on from those that we know should not. I thank you, Lord, for being in our midst this morning. I thank you for loving us for never abandoning us and for always walking with us. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll see you guys next time. Thank you for listening. We pray that this message has ministered to your heart. If you don't already have a church you call home, we invite you to join us at Valley Bible Fellowship for worship, Bible study, fellowship, and more. We're at 2300 East Brundage Lane in Bakersfield, California, near Mount Vernon and Freeway 58. Reach us by phone at 661-325-2251 or visit our website at vbf.org.